Hey there, welcome to this episode of the Skip Meetings Podcast, the podcast for curious professionals embracing the future of business events. My name is Miguel Nevsh, and I'm the editor-in-chief of Skiff Meetings. In this episode titled Incentives, Trends, and Personal Missions, I have the pleasure of speaking with my friend, Annette Gregg, the CEO of SITE, the Society for Incentive Travel Excellence. In our candid conversation, we cover things like the SITE Global Conference as an example of where participants are going to experience a once-in-a-lifetime opportunities, the types of experiences that will get people out of their homes. We talk about how to address the imbalance in female leadership across the meetings industry. We talk about the importance of having a personal mission that goes beyond how we define ourselves through work. We talk about the research results from the latest Incentive Research Foundation's Trends Report in partnership with FICP. And we talk about how to nurture the next generation working in incentive travel. Hope you enjoy listening to this conversation and I invite you to check out the other episodes of the podcast. You can find these on our website or by subscribing through your favorite podcast service. Now for a word from our sponsors, PHL Life Sciences, a division of the Philadelphia Convention and Visitors Bureau. Host your convention or trade show in Philadelphia, one of America's leading life sciences hubs. PHL Life Sciences, the first and only CVB division of its kind, will connect you to the professionals at the forefront of your industry and to a culture you can only find in Philadelphia. A city known for its rich history that's forging a bright future, Philadelphia challenges the expected and defies convention. A world of discovery is waiting. Visit phllife.com to learn more. So, Annette, Greg, thank you so much for being on the podcast with us today. It's really a pleasure to be talking to you again. Thank you, Miguel. So great to see you and so nice to catch up with you today. Absolutely. We've known each other for, for a little while. We were on the MPI board together and then you also became MPI staff uh, during that period. But wanted to um, start with a little introduction about who you are, how you kind of got involved in this crazy events and meetings industry. And if you could take us through, you have such a varied career. I don't know where you want to start, but uh, just wanted to kind of get a little bit of an idea of that for everybody listening. Yeah, sure. Well, it's always an interesting question, right? Because I have had a lot of roles in the industry, but I'd say since 1997 or so, I've been exclusively in this industry, uh, maybe even a little earlier than that. And I, I just fell into it like most of us of, of our age, uh, where a friend was selling exhibits for a very large association, very large trade show. And I didn't know what that even meant, but it meant a trip to Chicago. So I said, hey, I'm in. And, you know, I think I, uh, I, I really enjoyed all the variety of jobs I've had. And I think I would recommend that to anyone. So I've worked, uh, boy, on the, as a, on the planner side or on the buyer side for corporations and associations and agencies. And then on the supplier side, I worked for convention centers and a couple destination management uh, organizations or DMOs and even a DMC. So it's really been just an exciting uh, career path just to explore all those different seats you can have in our wonderful events ecosystem. In fact, I have um, a 23-year-old son. So I've been married 25 years, lovely uh, uh, wonderful husband here in San Diego. And then uh, we have a 23 year old son, his birthday is today, and he's, uh, working in our industry too. And I think it's just great to see that next generation get excited about live events and, and that's where he wants to be. So he's doing some work with, uh, an agency in, in Los Angeles. Great. Well, happy birthday to him. And, yeah. uh, what, what advice are you giving him kind of the bigger picture of the industry? Would, would you speak to him? 
Yeah, that, it's a good question because I end up talking to a lot of uh, young adults about career pathing. I've taught for universities for years, and I just really feel a heart for that that young adult. And and it's a confusing pathway sometimes. You know, I think we have a lot of uh, uh, emerging professionals that are very focused on one part of our our events world, which is I want to be a wedding planner or I want to. Uh, you know, I want to work at on on Coachella. <laughs> you know, I want to produce festivals. I mean, they get really focused on something they just enjoy, and I think that's wonderful to have a uh, a path that you're, you're you've clarified for yourself. But my advice to Evan, my son, and and anybody else is just to really to try a lot of different things and keep your keep your mind open as you're really starting your career because you just you just don't know what might resonate with you. There's so many exciting things. I never thought I'd like trade shows so much, for example. I really love a trade show floor and watching a trade show being set up and teared down. And, and if I hadn't said yes to that very first job in, in the industry, I don't know if I would still be in the industry today. So I think it's just to stay open-minded and to try some different things, even though it might your first or second job might not be your forever job and might not be that exact fit of what you're looking for in the business events world or or even the social events world just you know try it because there's so there is a common thread uh in our industry with, with no matter what seat you're in you're doing a lot of that same kind of project management work so even if you're taking a job now with a corporation but you really wanted to be with a small agency uh you know just just try it because again those are transferable skills that'll continue to serve you in this industry yeah, totally agree. Um, and so when you speak to people outside the industry, friends and family, how do you explain what you do? Gosh, it's funny, isn't it? I think my husband's finally getting it, you know, after 25 years. Um, I think people understand events, but when they don't understand the the power that an event has to bring people together, I, I think... Actually, the the pandemic has probably helped us because the ability to be together was taken from us in such a powerful way that now people understand how when we convene, when we bring people together, um, how that really can advance relationships and businesses and just kind of humanity and how humanity needs that to be together. So I, I explain uh, that that I'm in what I call consider the business events um, area. And then I'll give some examples. So depending on the audience I'm talking to, you know, if it's an audience under under 30, I'll say, you know, like Comic-Con <laughs> or even like a Coachella or something like that, just to draw some so they understand, oh, okay, you know, I get it. Or uh, Dreamforce, you know, something that they'd really resonate with. Um, and of course, you know, not every event I, I've planned in my career and and we've all planned our career is as is, is exciting as a Comic-Con, but uh, just trying to get people interested and just give them a uh, mind picture first of the realm I'm in. You know, sometimes it's a marketing spin I might put on it, like I'm working for the marketing team or might be on the incentive side, like I am now working uh, more for, um, you know, the sales, the sales side. So kind of depends on the audience. Yeah, definitely have to read the room when you have that conversation. <laughs> it's true. So you've uh, now been in your new role, CEO of Site. Congratulations uh, for Thank that. Thank you. The Society for Incentive Travel Excellence. Right. Um, how is it going? I mean, tell us a little yeah. bit about the, the new role and, 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 and about Site, I think, for anybody who's not familiar with Site. Well, I was so honored to have this opportunity. You know, Site, I've been involved in Site for 
oh, probably 20 years. Uh, the Southern California chapter where I live here is very, very strong. And I've been attending events there on and off for a long, long time. So the nice thing, uh, having come from another association where I was very, very involved and very involved for a long time there, it's nice to be with an association in our space. I mean, I could have been the leader for uh, a totally different type of organization, but this really has a lot of crossover. I mean, really incentive travel, incentive programs, they are another type of business event. Um, they're, they're rewarding top achievers in a company uh, for their um, successes. And so, and, and in my past, one of my past roles, I planned incentive programs for a very large financial firm. So it's a language I, I speak already, which has been really wonderful. And site's got such a passionate history. It's 50 years old. Uh, it's been, it's been, it's right. It's a, it's, we'll call it a niche or a smaller uh, association. I don't think site's aspiration is ever to be um, one of the biggest because we're, we're very focused on quality of that kind of that incentive um, practitioner. So, uh, but there are some folks there that, again, that have been around and been members. Many, we have many members over that 20 year mark and they're still involved and they're still very active in, in kind of these alumni roles. We have a past president's council. Uh, we have a lot of chapter leaders that continue to, to re-up. So that's a real sign of health in the organization when you have a lot of passionate volunteers and they continue to raise their hand. So. I'm two months in, and uh, I think it's an exciting time to be with Site. So again, we're in our 50th anniversary this year. In about mm, three weeks, we'll have our global conference in New York City, and it's tracking to be one of our largest ever, which is just wonderful. I think it's going to be really feel like a homecoming or a family reunion, you know, having all these folks coming uh, from all over the world. We have uh, 15 different countries represented in our current um, registration list. So it's going to be really, really an exciting time next month. Can you share a little bit about the event? I mean, what, what, what's, what are your highlights? Sure. So far? Sure. Well, it, we are fortunate to have a really good host committee, um, with, uh, the New York, um, and company, NYC and company, uh, a DMO and also PRA. And so they've gotten us into some really wonderful, iconic, um, uh, venues. So like the Apollo theater and, and some of these, uh, kind of invite only ballrooms around town. So I think that that is going to be just very special uh, for people to feel like they have a once in a lifetime opportunity. And, and I think that's, you know, that's incentive travel and incentive program design in general. And I think not even just incentive programs, but all of us as, as we'll just call it, you know, meeting designers and event designers is just upping that ante of creating um, creating experiences that people can't get anywhere else. And I think that's just another reason um, that the pandemic has helped amplify and really accelerate our industry is that people are not going to get out of their houses for just any old thing anymore. I mean, they do want to be together. We, we want to be with other people, um, but I think the expectations are higher that it better be something exciting uh, because it's not the easiest thing to travel right now. And People are some people are still just kind of getting their sea legs back as far as these uh, as events go. So it kind of makes us up our game, which is exciting for, for us. So next month's um, event is going to have a lot of surprise and delight moments that way uh, with authentic New York City infused throughout. <laughs> Love it. I think we'll, we'll be there in some form to, to cover that as well. So that, that should be fun. Right. Now, 
Uh, I think you're you're well aware that the female ratio of leadership in the industry is is not quite as as balanced as as we'd like it to be. Uh, we're definitely a very female heavy industry, but on leadership levels, it doesn't tend to be so female driven. Uh, you're one of the few female CEOs as a major industry association. How do we address this? What can we do to change this? Or are, what are you doing to change it, I guess, in some ways? Yeah, well, I love that question. And thank you for bringing that up. And I I do think it's an issue. You know, when you look at an, uh, an industry, if we'll call it our, our business events industry, is uh, I'd say anywhere from 60 to 80% women. And we, we just don't have enough women at that highest level, whether it's a DMO leader or an association leader. Um, I think there are about 30 or so associations that belong to the events industry council and, you know, just a handful of us are women uh, CEOs there. And I have been kind of aware and um, uh, involved in this, this issue of, we'll call it just kind of helping women rise and, and promoting more women leadership for a long time. I, I, it was about 15, maybe 12 to 15 years ago, I started a a series of women's conferences just to help um, help kind of women get over their own roadblocks. You know, there, there, are, there are many external roadblocks as well, uh, systemic roadblocks, but I think also maybe men have them too, but I know women uh, suffer from some, some things that are, are self-inflicted, you know, imposter syndrome or negative self-talk or just self-doubt. And so my, my goal in starting some of these conferences was just to create a safe space for business women to come together and say, okay, let, let's get there. How do we get there together? How do we, in fact, they were called rise up, you know, how do we help others rise up uh, from that? And even though I don't do those conferences anymore, they got a, I, they got a little bit busy. My life got a little busy, but uh, we still kind of have that spirit in, in the women that I call my trusted advisor circle. Um, and I think we intentionally do find ways to help each other advance. And whether that is, um, I'll call it mentorship. I think mentorship is, is a little bit of an overused uh, term, but I'll help any woman that reaches out to me. Uh, I, and I, I have not turned down one uh, to say, hey, you know, let, let's have a quick talk and, and how can I help with your career, you know, if you have a question or, or you want to try to, to get to that next level, but, but even further than mentorship is that term sponsorship. And that's really when you start opening doors for other women and how can you be that person that brings her alongside and brings her into the meeting or brings her uh, into that uh, introduction in that place that she wants that job instead of just here's a suggestion to you, you know, what is that next level of really sponsoring that woman and really putting your reputation on the line with hers. And so I've done that uh, as well. I think that's important. You, you have to be selective uh, with that because um, you have to make sure that she's in it and, as much as you're in it, because there's a little bit of, of commitment there on both sides. But um, I think those are ways that I continue to try to help women rise up in our industry because I, I think it is, it is an issue. Um, and why it matters is that uh, two things come to mind. We need, to, we need to have a visual example to all these other young women that are coming up into our industry that, hey, this, this is attainable. I'm represented at the highest levels in this industry. And then secondly, just more diversity in general. You know, women organizations that are led by women are proven to have better financial results in many, many studies. And 
Uh, they just bring that diversity of thought and a different approach. So having more females at the top levels of leadership in any type of organization, let alone an industry that's hard, uh, largely female, is critical, in my opinion. Thanks for that. And um, I think excellent advice there. Um, any practical advice you'd give any female listeners who are maybe struggling to, to make that next move? Is it, is it just about reaching out, finding the right person to reach out? Or, or is there anything else that they can do? Yeah, I, I love this question so much. Um, one of the most powerful books I read called, I can't remember it right now, but it's about breaking the rules. And it was written by three women that came from the um, Wall Street and highly male aggressive uh, industry and competitive industry. And one of the, the nuggets I took away from that book was about, let's just call it office or workplace politics. And the, their, their approach was you have to get in the game. You know, a lot of times women can sit on the sidelines and say, oh gosh, office or corporate politics, it's so messy. My work should just speak for itself. I'm just gonna sit over here and work my tail off because that's what really matters. And um, then I'll get noticed in advance. And it's just not the case. I mean, the hardest working people in the company are not necessarily the ones that are going to continue to advance. You have to create relationships uh, of influence. And so I, I really, when I do talk with women, I talk about, let's reframe that notion of office politics. If you don't like playing the political game because you just can't get your head around it, it feels dirty to you, just consider it a game of influence or an exercise of influence. You know, who at your organization or in your industry, whatever, wherever you want to go, who is a person of power and influence and how can we create relationships that are going to help you achieve your, your goal? And then at the same time, how are you also being that same person of influence to someone else. So always that message of however much you've been helped, help someone just as much. So we have this kind of virtuous circle uh, that we can continue to help others rise up. Are you ready to celebrate your successes in the world of meetings and events? The Skift Meetings Awards are back for 2024, recognizing the most innovative business events companies across 15 categories, and we want you to be a part of it. Winners will feature on Skift Meetings, sending a clear signal to events professionals around the world that these are partners they can rely on. The final deadline for submissions is June 11th. We encourage you to start your submission today to secure the best entry rates. For more information and to start your submission, head to live.skift.com. I noticed that on, on your LinkedIn profile, you also have a, a sort of personal mission that sounds mm. very kind of close yeah. to, to what we're talking about here, right? Um, it says yeah. helping people live more authentic, inspired and successful lives. And yeah. I think that that applies across the board, right? Could, could you tell me how you got there and why you kind of sharing this, this personal mission? Yeah, thank you so much for bringing that up too. So I'll tell you a quick story. I was laid off gosh, let me think about this, probably 15 years ago now. And I've, I've had career changes, you know, many career changes and, and layoffs and downsizing or what have you. But this one, I just didn't see coming and it, it really just knocked me my own um, uh, confidence. And I was, you know, again, in my mid 40s and, and had or, or early 40s, had plenty of confidence in my trajectory. But this one just really knocked me sideways. And I started reading a great book, uh, Brene Brown, a lot of you all listeners probably listen to her and, and or uh, read her stuff. And this one was called Rising Strong that I read at that time. And it, it really helped me own 
who I am and that the circumstances of my career are really our lives, whether it is something tragic that happens or something that you're not expecting, uh, doesn't have to define us forever. It's a, it's a situation that happens to us, doesn't necessarily have to define who we are as humans. And once I got my head around that, uh, I started thinking about um, this, the, the power of a business card. And when you're between work uh, or looking for your new opportunity, you don't necessarily have a business card to give people. And I know business cards are kind of antiquated now with LinkedIn or whatever, but it is a symbol of, hey, I actually have a place where I am and I have purpose you know, professionally and I'm handing you this. And when you, you're not at work, you don't have that. And I thought, you know, I'm never going to let any situation uh, take away my self-worth ever again. And so I made, I made uh, personal business cards. And I have, still have a few. I should uh, make sure I have re do reorder these. But I, I made personal business cards. I wanted to remind myself that I have, uh, I have purpose and I have a mission in my own life. doesn't matter if I'm um, working or not, or it's really how I show up no matter what. And so this was a tagline I created for myself and my own personal business cards. Yeah, you know thank you for sharing that. And I think that's a, a really powerful drawing in and kind of looking in inside and kind of figuring out who you are and separating yourself from the job that you do, uh, which I think yeah. is quite important, particularly in difficult times, right? It's easy to sort of let your identity be driven by whatever job you're doing. So, it's yeah. so true. And, and, and fear uh, is so powerful too. When something that you didn't see coming happens like that, you start doubting yourself and you have a lot of fear that pops up and that's, it really can kind of hijack your brain and, and all, you know, you, again, I wasn't young when this happened to me and I knew what I had to offer, but if it just, if you weren't ready for it, you know, you weren't braced for it. Uh, a lot of things can start happening to you mentally and emotionally. You just got to kind of take a minute to get back. I'll call it control, but at least identify it. At least say, okay, this is what I'm feeling. Why am I feeling this? And is it logical? You know, can I, can I feel, how can I feel a different way? Uh, so yeah, thank you. It's worked for me. And I've given that example to a lot of people. And when I teach, uh, teach a lot at San Diego State University, and I've had my students do that personal business card exercise uh, often, probably 15 times. And it's hard for people. If I say, okay, what's your personal tagline? Not, not I'm Annette Gregg and I work for Sight. You know, what if you introduce yourself some other way? You know, I'm Annette Gregg and I help people live more authentic, inspired and successful lives. Oh, what is that like? You know, tell me more about that. And it's really hard sometimes for people to kind of think about, boy, what do I stand for? But that's a powerful exercise, isn't it? If we can identify our own tagline and that's who we are, no matter what, uh, that gives you a lot more power and probably a lot more confidence as you go into your next job interview. Absolutely. No, I, I really like mm -hmm. that, the power of identifying your, your own tagline. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to go back a little bit to the work that you're doing in Sight. Obviously, this is kind of now your, your remit. And I know that Sight mm -hmm. also has a, a research arm, right? The, the Incentive Research Foundation, right? And you do the index um, is it is it annually? Is it quarterly? How does that work? And, and what were yes. what was the latest well, results? Thank you. The um, so we have in our foundation we partner with the Incentive Research Foundation. So it's a separate foundation, and we partner with um, FICP, FICP, a Finance and Insurance Conference Planner Professionals Association. Because there's a lot of crossover there. FICP members do a lot of incentive programming. 
And so we do an annual uh, incentive travel index, and it's optimistic uh, looking forward to 2023. So I'm glad to to present just a few nuggets. Um, and of, just to be clear, who who do you survey? Yes. So we survey all our members. So we have 2,500 members, and then we'll survey also. I think site, uh, FICP has about 2,000. And, and then whoever the in, um, Incentive Research Foundation has access to. So it probably went out to about 10,000 folks. And we had a good response rate, about 35% response rate. Uh, most of the respondents are incentive travel agencies um, with the next one as suppliers. And then we have incentive travel, uh, um, we'll call them practitioners, the ones that are inside corporations, and then even some of the end users. So some of the attendees and participants in the incentive travel. Uh, so it was a good cross and it was global, um, but we did separate the data uh, US versus rest of the world. And so the US is recovering a little stronger for next year. Uh, North American buyers um, say that next year, 67% of them uh, say actually next year, which is now and this year, um, they will get back to pre-pandemic levels uh, as far as their programming. We're only 50% of the rest of the world are pacing that way. So we see that in a lot of your uh, research too. Um, it skips that we're just, we're lagging a little bit in the rest of the world. And I think it's just going to be, there's, there's going to be those headwinds of still not, not only just the health concerns, but um, there's travel concerns and there's also their conflict and, and it's just a little more complicated landscape out there. Um, and then finance insurance and also uh, communications and technology, they are leading the leading sectors as far as, again, uh, just this, this is focused on incentive programs and incentive travel. They're the one leading the pack as far as recovery. And then the ones that are slowest to resume uh, are direct selling or MLM. Um, and then the other any, just piece, any insight yes, into why? I mean, you know, these are interesting, but it's like why yeah. is financial kind of leading the way back back yeah. strong, and then and then was it SLM kind of really lagging? Yeah. FLM, uh, the uh, multi level marketing direct selling. Like MLM, yeah. I think when you look at the MLM model, uh, those are independent business owners, right? They're, they're the ones that have create, they create their own business around a brand, whether it's it. So it's, it's commission only you, you, you keep what you eat or, or you, you eat what you kill sort of thing. So they, um, during the pandemic, they probably, their businesses probably lagged a lot. And so I just think they're the MLM in general is finding their participants again. So I just know this from talking to the real estate sector, a lot of realtors, similar model, uh, 80%, at least in the US, 80% of realtors uh, went out of business after the pandemic. And, and the, again, these are just people that did it on their own. You know, they have to create their own and net Greg realty. So if you look at that model, it, it's the pan, I think it's just another pandemic um, aftershock that we're still feeling. It's it's going to pull back up, but as far as programming, those are the ones that are are lagging. They're still having some incentive programs, but they're not recovering as much as these. If you go back to the corporate sector, the ones that traditionally rely on incentive programs as a reward and a driver for business results, finance and insurance has always always been there. It's large uh, a large factor, at least. Um, that's what our data shows. And I also saw that at uh, when I worked in the finance sector and then technology. I think it's interesting that, again, this data is about four year, four months old. 
now with technology, we see a lot of pending layoffs uh, coming and hot off the press. So I think that might lag a little bit more than this data showed four months ago. What was most surprising about the, the results of the index? Does anything kind of yeah. strike you as, as something you weren't expecting? Well, it was when we get down uh, some of the choices for locations um, and where they're planning to go. I, what was interesting to me is that I thought because of the pandemic and how we all couldn't travel and really couldn't plan these exciting programs that now uh, that it's a little safer, I thought that the program designers would be looking at really unique spaces and really unique destinations all over the world saying, okay, we're coming back with a bang. We're going to go to this brand new destination. But what the data is showing is that even though the incentive programs are back and planning is back, the planners are choosing some safe destinations still, at least for the near term, like 24, uh, 23 and 24. So the most um, sought after destinations for the next couple of years are still the US, Caribbean, Mexico and Western Europe. And I thought they might be ready to explore some more uh, Asian, unique uh, Asian or even Middle East, EMEA uh, or African and that's lagging way behind. So I think that is just still like, yes, we'll plan our programs again, but we're going to play it safe for a little bit until we know what's happening health wise, conflict wise and everything else. Yeah, I guess in the in the midst of uncertainty, it's it's nice to have a a destination chosen that's quite safe, right? That's kind of easy to to work with, right? Uh, rather right. than take a lot of risks, right? I think it's interesting your um, trends data that came out for Skift. It was your Mega Trends, which I think is such a wonderful publication, and they talked about the ultra luxury sector, and I think that is a take home for our membership uh, and our constituency too. Is that that ultra luxury sector? is still very strong and they are looking for what is that next level uh, experience that you can craft for me, even though we are might still be going to a traditional destination or one of those safer ones, we still have an onus to create something they can't get anywhere else. And whether that is in, you know, a, a luxury experience or just a super unique experience, that's what the participants still want. And for us too, I think it actually is really going to benefit those destinations that have a good cultural story to tell, because that's also what the end users and the, um, we'll just call them experienced designers are looking for is how can you bring up that authenticity in a destination? So say we're going to Hawaii again, but you know, Hawaii has such a rich history, rich cultural, uh, so many cultural offerings, you know, that's what they want is that authentic uniqueness that way. You don't necessarily have to take them uh, out to, to the middle of nowhere, um, but create that experience while we are, you know, in a more traditional destination. That's kind of interesting. So what I'm hearing you say is that although planners are selecting the traditional destinations, be it Mexico, Cancun, or Hawaii, mm -hmm. or something like that, the attendees are asking for more authentic experiences. So they'd like yeah. to actually experience the destination a bit deeper, not just the pool and the drinks and the, you know, the catamaran trip or something like that, more kind of like, how do I get to know the culture and get to know the yeah. local culinary, et cetera? Absolutely. And, and that is reinforced by the data too. So the, the data shows that also what these designers are looking for, they're looking for activities that promote relationship building 
over the shopping experiences and the even sustainability. So sustainable, and I'm going to touch on that in a second. That is the lowest ranked, but the ones that are highest ranked to the one and two activities that promote relationship building, obviously, because they haven't seen their colleagues in three years. This might be the first incentive trip back on the books and then group cultural experiences. So they want to be, get immersed in, in what's the authenticity. Uh, and then third was luxury travel experiences. Now, sustainability, this was another aha for me. Sustainability, and so activities that promote practices around sustainability ranked really low in respondents and what these uh, experienced designers are crafting and also what the end users are looking for. But here's my thought on that, Miguel, is I think at this point, we want to think that sustainability and, and creating an, uh, a meeting and incentive program with sustainable practices is a must-have and a given. And I think, again, research on the SCIFT side reinforced that, that it's, it's, not, it's not even something we should be asking as far as, do you prioritize this or not? Like, we, we have to be doing this. We have to be being smart about the places we choose. We have to choose um, hotels and resorts that have a commitment to this. There are, you know, the, the, most of them are doing it, right? Especially in these places where uh, I, I just think about Tulum. I was there not too long ago. You know, that is just this beautiful, natural jungle. And, for, you know, they're going to take care of that region. Uh, they don't want to lose that, that beautiful authenticity there. So those hotels that I'm familiar with down there have deep commitments to sustainability there. So it's my guess about why sustainability ranked so low. I don't think it's not a priority. I think that we want to hope that it's a, it's a given and a must have in everything we do now. I, I hope you're right, because we yeah. see the same thing, right? I also see sustainability in our surveys quite low. And yeah. I do think it's one of those things that's sort of embedded into everything. I wrote about it actually at the uh, ICA Congress in mm -hmm. November in, um, in Krakow in Poland. The main themes of the Congress were sustainability, diversity, equity and inclusion and legacy. And what was mm -hmm. interesting was they didn't sort of have a legacy track or a sustainability track or a DEI track. It was just part of how everything was shaped. So it's that sort of mm -hmm. idea of these things now are just things that we have to do and are good for us to do. And then we talk about, you know, the business side of the topics, et cetera, but there's always an underlying kind of element of that. And I think that is healthy, but I, I don't know. I, I have my doubts whether people are choosing properties on non-sustainability causes. I do think that they are choosing it's it's nice when they see that there's great sustainability and if they really care they can go in and actually see that the, the initiatives are really positive but i'm not sure that that's a sort of prerequisite you know i, I don't yeah. think that's the first thing on the rfp uh yeah yeah i i i'm fearful of the same thing and i think we can't let our foot off the accelerator when it comes to that you know it's uh it, it can't just be a check the box thing. You know, how exactly. are we, how are we showing it and really taking a minute to saying, okay, what are we doing at our own conference? You know, what is our commitment? What are yeah. the five things that we're going to say we're doing? Uh, right. And it's a lot, I know for being, again, being on the practitioner side in many of my roles and being a, a, a planner, it feels like another thing I got to think about. And in the mm -hmm. meantime, you know, I've got all these attendee needs coming at me and everything else. It's, it's just, we have to get to that point where it is as important as food and beverage <laughs> and yeah. as important as the ballroom setup. You know, it just, I, I agree. We have to keep fighting that fight. Absolutely. So I want to start wrapping up, but I wanted to kind of get, get you some, uh, get from you some kind of big picture thinking. Um, right. 
challenges that the industry is facing. Is there anything yeah. that you're seeing that that isn't obvious that you're seeing that's coming up ahead that you're thinking, mm -hmm. actually, we should be paying attention to this because this might be a, a big issue coming up next? Well, I don't know if it's not obvious, but I'm going to underscore it anyway. Uh, it just continues to, to kind of hit me in the, in the face. It's about really recruiting that next generation of meeting event professionals. And if you look at the amount of baby boomers that are soon to retire, and most of our associations uh, have an aging membership and an aging community. So I know at first sight, only 20% of our membership is under the age of 40. So what we have got to replenish you know, the, the pipeline. And so if you look at, I'll just stick with the association world. If you look at why people join, you know, it's a different reason that why people join. Uh, if you're in your twenties, then you're in your forties. And, or then when I joined 20 years ago, you know, why do people join today? It's different. And if they join at all and is membership, the, the brass ring or what else does success look like for an association? Uh, so I think for associations alone, we really have to look at that. What's going to lure that that next generation? And then I also look at our industry and how it, it really took a hit. We all know this in the pandemic. A lot of people left it. It's hard work. It's rewarding work. Those of us that are long timers, we love this industry. I'm not going to say it hasn't been hard work. And so if I'm again, I'll take my son. If I'm looking at a 23 year old and he wants to get into this industry, what's the positioning that we have to look at and how are we talking about our industry? Even the word hospitality is misleading. Uh, it, it doesn't do our industry justice, I think, although I, I like serving people and I like being hospitable, but it doesn't necessarily, it's not as sexy maybe as some other careers. So when you're thinking about the type of work that we have to offer that next generation, which is super exciting work, you know, exploring other nations and other cultures and, and crafting these experiences that bring people together that, that can really move businesses forward. And, you know, we love our work. So we have to find ways to better explain it to that next generation and really recruit them beyond the, you know, I want to, I want to plan the next Coachella, you know, there, there's exciting work to be done on the business event side. So I think that's, for me, the biggest challenge that I, I'm going to be diving into with our team is that next generation and what, how are we positioning it? Um, and then, you know, the, everything else that's obvious is, is the financial situation and the kind of the geopolitical things happening around the world. We are, as a, a small association, we're 2,500 people, but we, we're in nine, we have members in 90 countries. So we have a lot of, of different situations uh, happening to all of our members and our chapters. And, and so what does that look like for, for site? You know, how do we create um, stability in our own membership and what does success look like? You know, to have five people in, uh, in a certain chapter somewhere, you know, how are we, how are we spreading the word or at least serving that community? Absolutely. Um, and so to kind of build on that, when you think of incentive travel, you know, the area that you're specifically looking at, and you think of an incentive trip mm -hmm. uh, in the next five, 10 years, what's going to be different about an incentive trip yeah. in, in, the, in the kind of near or midterm future? I think that's such an important question, Miguel. So back to the positioning statement, you know, a lot of people were drawn to incentive travel because it's extremely creative. And, you know, the spend per 
per participant. So our, our members that are crafting these incentive programs, they're spending anywhere from six to eight at 6,000 to 8,500 us per person on these programs. So it's a lot more creative when you have bigger budgets. So incentive programs uh, are very exciting and because it, it, you really get to do things you couldn't do anywhere else, you know, having dinner on top of a glacier. And that's not an exaggeration, you know, those crazy stuff. So yes, that is a great lure for people to get people in our industry and continue to, to have eyes on these things. And at the same time, I think we have to look at um, the bigger the bigger reason that I get excited about incentive travel and incentive uh, programming is that it really celebrates human achievement. You know, when you think about getting these people in a room, these are the, the top achievers of their companies. And, you know, I, how do we make them feel really great about that, you know, that they've achieved the top of what they've been asked to do, and they're moving their companies forward. And that is a that kind of spirit. Um, that's what the world needs more of right now. And we're, we're still with these hybrid work environments. We're still very fragmented. I read a stat, it might have been in Skift, I can't remember, but uh, that we're spending, it was, it was in your research, Miguel, that uh, we're spending less time than ever with even our closest friends. Uh, and you know, that worries me for humanity. We need to be together. And we know that magic happens when we're face to face. So why I get excited about the future of our uh, industry, not only incentive programs, but uh, just business meetings and programming in general is getting people together in a room is magic and humanity needs it. And with incentive programs, we not only get to do that, but we also get to celebrate the best of the best. So I think that I want to continue to, to kind of encourage uh, my side of the industry, that, that incentive uh, professional, that they're doing great work on a grand scale, you know, really celebrating humans and getting them together. So I think to specifically answer your question, what will it look like going forward? Data shows, again, the younger achiever now. So we're aging out. You're getting 75 million uh, of these millennials and Gen Ys coming in, and they are now becoming the top achievers. So what they look for is different than what that 50-year-old uh, top achiever looked for in that incentive program. And they are looking for more authenticity, more unique, less constructed uh, programming. So yes, they want to be with their peers, but don't tell me what to do every minute of the day with all these different activities. So a lot more of just, I'm going to pick my space and pick my, my path. So I think that's what you're going to see is as the, the, uh, the end user or the participant is younger, you're going to see more authentic destinations uh, that are just a little bit off the beaten path, although maybe, you know, maybe still going to Hawaii, but maybe a different part of that island and a more culturally um, infu more cultural infusion uh, throughout that program. Again, back to authenticity and then not over programming uh, every minute of that, of their, of their time together. I think that's a very interesting prediction, and uh, I could see that in practice almost instantly. Uh, yeah, mm -hmm. As you see the, the younger people coming through, I, I think I would definitely be uh, attracted to something like that right. uh, compared to a cruise or a, you know a nice hotel or anything like that. So I appreciate that. Sure, yeah. you know I, I want to talk about. There's a just reminded me. There's a really great DMC. I think it's out of Barcelona. But they're called authenticities. And this is another thing I think we're going to see in, in incentive programming is um, the, the ability to explore a destination based on your personal interest. So authenticities will say, hey, are you interested in um, the education scene? Click here and they'll pull up an itinerary uh, that'll take you to, you know, ex explore the local 
public schools and then a university or whatever. Are you interested in the arts scene? And then they'll take you to a, a three-day itinerary in that city uh, to I that that they're you know three perfect days in Barcelona art or whatever. So and they're even they get into even if you're interested in kind of the social impact um, or the environment or so. I think you're also going to see that too, as that uh, the demographic shifts for incentive programming is how can we really get to know a city, not just on the grounds of this wonderful five-star all-inclusive resort, but if you're going to take me out uh, and I want to see what it's really like. And so just again, back to culturally authentic programming. And also, I think you mentioned there an element of personalization, right? So really mm -hmm. kind of making a program that's perfectly suited to the individual where possible. Absolutely. Ned, thank you so much for, for joining us. I think it's, it's been really interesting to covering your journey and, and site and all the things that are, that are interesting in the world of incentive travel. I would love to wrap up by asking for your recommendation for somebody else who we should uh, have here on the podcast. I think that's such a great question. So I am going to give you, I had a few ideas, but I'm going to give you Jason Dunn. So Jason Dunn is the new executive director of National Coalition of Black Meeting Professionals. He's been a, he was the chair uh, for many years, but now he is the, uh, the paid executive director. And Jason is one of those inspirational humans you just want to be around. He is an amazing man. And he also has just such a heart for having um, amplifying voices that, that need to be amplified. Uh, in a respectful, uh, a respectful way, but persistent and professional. And so he's one of my favorite humans and I would recommend Jason Dunn to you, Miguel. Perfect. I look forward to uh, meeting Jason and having him on the podcast. I think that'll be a really good conversation. So thank you for that recommendation. You're welcome. Well, thanks that, for having me today. So great catching up with you. You're really welcome. Thank you for being on the show with us. I hope everybody listening enjoys the, the interview and I uh, hope to see you back on the Event Manager podcast soon. Take care, everybody. Bye. Thank you.